Alright, this is the Brokenness to Faith podcast. Um, Marky Mark here with Noah. Who cares? You know the introduction. Um, I would tell you to share it with your friends. Look us up on social media, but we don't we'll use social media. Tell you to share it with your friends, but most of you are probably already content with just listening to it by now. And you've, you've shared it with whoever you wanted to share it with before, and they're either listening or they don't care. Let's keep it real. <laughs> We do this to keep busy, and we do this because it's fun, and we do this because hopefully you get something out of it like we do. Um, We're going to be continuing our series, whatever you want to call it, that we've been in and out of for months now, the Sermon on the Mound. Yep. Um, We're going to be doing Matthew 5, 21 to 26. You can really break it up if you wanted to, the 21 and 22, and then 23 to 26. We're just going to do the whole thing. Who cares? Why not? It's our podcast. We can do whatever we want to do. Um, so let's get into it. Noah, if you want to read yeah. the scripts. I will read it. Verse 21 through 26. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and and then remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way. Or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Mm. Or you want to start it? Yeah, I can take the first go. Um, so obviously, last time we talked about the law, and... Um, and then more specifically, Jesus talks about the law and about the importance of following it and, um, you know, that it's not going anywhere. And so now following up on that, he's kind of doubling down on more specifically, you know, parts of the law and, and kind of how to actually practically live out some of that. And, and you know, he's taking it more closer to home in a sense. Um, and he starts by talking about murder, but more specifically anger and, um, you know, our attitudes towards others, right, in a more specific sense. Um, so obviously verse 21, he says, you know, you know, shall not murder. But he takes that a step further and he says that even if you have anger towards somebody, this is, you know, similar and that you know, you'll be under judgment accordingly. And... You know, obviously at the time this was a pretty big deal because anger isn't really mentioned in the Old Testament, at least in terms of the law, right? That you know, it's you shall not murder, that's it. But Jesus takes a step further and says, you know, anger can be on the same level in the sense that it's still a sin, it's still subject to judgment. Um, the Greek word used in one of your twenty million tabs open on your phone. <laughs> well, I gotta save all this stuff. Uh, the Greek word is orgizo, um, and more specifically, it can be used either as 
Well, it means a fixed anger. It could be mean in a positive sense, which is inspired by God, or negative when it's arising from flesh. Um, you know, it reminds me your your dad, Pastor Mark here at VCA. Um, Who? The pastor. I'm just kidding. <laughs> you know, the pastor. Yeah. Um, a couple weeks ago, he did a, a sermon on the anger that Jesus experienced, and... If you haven't heard it, I encourage you to listen to it. If you have, listen to it again. Um, but it it showcases this idea that there is an anger that can be righteous, that can be good and controlled, but there is an anger that can come from our own flesh, from our own pride, our own sense of what we think is right or what we think is deserved. And Jesus is kind of saying, like, look, you know, this type of anger is subject to the same judgment as if you murdered somebody, which is pretty severe, uh, severe thing to say. Um, the other word I wanted to translate is raka, just because... I one of your 20 tabs open. <laughs> what is uh, your translation? Does it have the... Does it say raka too, or does it have the actual, like an English word? Mine says... Uh, why did I... Verse 22. Uh, yeah, I, I'm going back to it. I accidentally moved around my notes. Raka shall be in danger of the council. Okay, so... Whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Okay. Um, I, I just wanted to translate this word because, you know, it makes more sense. And I'm pretty sure you've probably used this like a dozen times this week. Um, it's an Aramaic word that means empty-headed, um, can be expressed contempt for a man's head, viewing what the him as you stupid. You're calling me stupid and empty-headed? An example, a numbskull who acts presumptuously and thoughtlessly. Is that what you're calling me? Oh, I'm just saying you've probably called somebody So I'll a break your laptop in half. <laughs> if that happens, the episode's going to probably end right here. So I, so side, <laughs> I side with the Pharisees who anything short of murder on the outside is okay. <laughs> so in other words, he's just saying... If you say to a brother or sister, you're a numbskull, then you're answerable to the court. Um, which I, I guess the, the takeaway message here is that even the tiniest amount of discontent for somebody or ill will towards somebody is you know, questionable and, and, and something that we should look at as we continue to strive to be a point where we are in good standing with the people around us. You know what I mean? And obviously all of us we'll have those moments where we think in our heads, man, this person's a fool, right? This guy's an idiot, right? We all have those moments, but I guess the question is, what do we do about that? You know, are we going to live in that, either those little moments of anger or the big moments of anger, or are we going to make efforts to try to fix that, which I think is what verse 23 through 26 kind of focuses a little bit more on how to deal with this stuff. But I think it's important to note that Jesus is saying, like, even the tiniest of things that, you know, are, are coming from our flesh are negative and need to be at least aware of, if not dealt with in some extent, right? And I think that's the key to him mentioning this is that there's probably a lot of people up to this point who got by really angry at people and holding grudges against people. And Jesus is saying, like, it's time to cut some of this out. You know, it's time to change how we interact with people not just the physical actions of murder but how we treat people in our hearts and how we act towards people internally as well 
and and what we're saying you know what i mean obviously me and you mark and the people listening probably haven't murdered anybody the 15 people listening right we've probably never murdered anybody but we probably said some things or called people some names or at least thought it in our heads and used the saying that even that is something that needs to be addressed right we can't let that stuff just slide by because we're not murdering anybody you know this is stuff that needs to be dealt with well, you don't know for a fact that I haven't. That's true. Anything. I mean, you never got to jail for it. That's I should say that. <laughs> yeah. Um, one point I want to make right off the bat, and I've shared this on another podcast. And no, it's not something about politics. Um, maybe we'll Surprising. get there. I'm sure it'll come up. Um, the very first phrase. You know, what the very first phrase is. What's that? Verse twenty-one. What's the first thing said in verse twenty-one? Uh, you have heard. What's the next few words? Uh, said to people. You have heard that it is said. That's what mine says. Yeah. Okay. So um, these people, they're they're um, that Jesus is talking to. He says, "When you you have heard it said, well, that's because they haven't read the law of Moses. They haven't really, or they haven't really studied it. Right. And that's because the Pharisees and and the scribes and all these people, they're the ones who are teaching it." So, because they're the ones who got to look at it, study. So they're just for the longest time believing what is told to them. Right now, obviously, if like one or two of these scribes or Pharisees are teaching something way different, and then the other ones are teaching what it says, then of course the people might be like, okay, you know, here. But but when they're all saying, they're all in unison saying the same thing. You're just gonna believe what they're what you're being told. Right, and. That is why he had to say, you have heard it said, because in this particular matter, the people had heard the scribes and Pharisees teach, you shall not murder. But here's here's the thing about that, because like we were talking about, Jesus takes it a step further, because he didn't want the people just to believe what they had heard. He wanted them to hear the truth. Right. Um, And right here, uh, when he says, but I say to you, because at first said, when you have heard it said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whose murderers will be in danger of that judgment. But I say to you, basically, he's taking what they've heard all their lives, and he's about to spin it. Yeah. He's about to change it. Um, and this is when he says, but I say to you, it's a thing where he's showing, you know, okay, this is the authority I have. I'm going to tell you what it truly means, even in the face of people who who are going to get me murdered. He's going to tell them the truth. Um, he's going to teach them the truth of the understanding of the law of Moses. Um, Whoever is angry with his brother and without cause shall be in danger of judgment. The teaching of the scribes and Pharisees, when they would talk about you shall not murder, hey, that's true. That What they're saying is true, but it wasn't true enough. Yeah. Or the, the better way I would say is it, it wasn't the full truth. Right. You know, like, sometimes people are good at at being deceitful, where it's like, what they said is the truth when someone asks them or questions them, but they didn't say the whole truth. You know what I mean? Like, they, like they say, oh, I didn't do that. But in their mind, they know who did, but they don't say that. They just say, I didn't do it. You know, <laughs> but they know more of it. It's just, they didn't say the whole truth. Right. Were they speaking truth? Sure. But... The other thing is, I think the Pharisees and the scribes only went that far in truth, either because A, they didn't know there was more to it than that, or B, because they wanted to have this murderous heart. 
They wanted to have this hateful heart. They wanted to have the, oh, I can't murder, but the intention in my heart is okay. And what if they're making it the, the other way? What if, I don't have proof of this, but if by their, by, by their own omission, by they say, thou shalt not murder, they're not saying like the intention, like Jesus is saying, is bad. So for them, they could easily have someone do the murder for them, right? Yeah. Or oh, I didn't murder, so I'm okay. Right. And that's where, well, yeah, but you paid someone to do it, but it's the intention. It was the Romans that murdered yeah. Jesus, not us. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. Know, yeah, I, I see what you're saying. And it's like, whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of judgment. You know, like I said, the, the teaching of the scribes and Pharisees, you said, remember, was, wasn't, wasn't true enough, yet they also taught that anything short of murder might be allowed. Right. Jesus corrects this, and I like what it says, and makes it clear that it's not only those who commit the act of murder who are in danger of judgment, but those who have a murderous intent in their heart are also in danger of the judgment. Um, I like this quote. Jesus exposes the essence of the scribes' heresy. To them, the law was really only a matter of external performance, right. never the heart. Jesus brings the law back to the matters of the heart. The supervision of the kingdom does not begin by arresting a criminal with blood-red hands. It arrests the man in whom the murder spirit is just born. Right. And we can say, well, I haven't murdered anybody. And yeah, by law here in the U.S., you haven't murdered anyone, you ain't going to jail. You murder someone, you go into jail. You have murderous intent in your heart. You never tell anybody, but you're like, man, I just like legitimately, I want to hurt that person. You're not going anywhere if no one ever knows about it. Yet, the person who killed someone and the person who has that same thought but just keeps it in his heart, they're going to the same place if they don't get right with God. Right. And that's the reality of it is it takes it a step further. And you can say, oh, I'm not going to listen to this we, murder. That's not my thing. I don't, I've never done that. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, but we have intent in our heart for hate. It's not just murder. Like, I've never even had my heart to murder. Yeah, but we've had hatred in our heart. You know, we should emphasize that Jesus is not saying that anger is as bad as murder. It is profoundly morally confused to think that someone who shouts at another person in anger has sinned as badly as someone who murders another person in anger. But Jesus emphasized that the law condemns both without saying that the law says they are the same things. So he condemns anger, he condemns murder. Now obviously you get in more trouble if you murder someone than if you get into an argument, the police just come by, break it up, and blah, blah, blah. But the law condemns both. The laws of the people can only deal with the outward act of murder. But Jesus declared that his followers understood that God's morality addressed not only the end, but also the beginning of murder and hatred. Mm. So Jesus forbids forever the anger which broods, the anger which will not forget, the anger which refuses to be pacified, the anger which seeks revenge. And, you know, that's, you know, we, we think, oh, I just don't like so-and-so. I just can't stand so-and-so. You know, it's one thing you're playing a board game and they're mad at you. Like, okay, everyone's He's mad at me. Heated, yeah. Everyone's mad at me. I'm the good guy, really. I'm just trying to direct everything to say, hey, we're all going to lose if we don't take care of so-and-so or don't, you know. But then everyone gets mad at me. But it's a game. Who cares? But when you legitimately hold that anger in your heart towards someone, right? that's no good. Whoever says to his brother, Raka, and shall be, shall be in danger of the council. Um, one, when well, you're talking about the reference of Raqqa, the one I found here, 
um, Tukalso and Raka expressed contempt for their intelligence. Calling someone a fool showed contempt for their character. Either one broke the heart of the law against murder, even if it did not commit murder. Right. Uh, another thing about Raka, like you said, uh, commentators have translated the idea behind Raka as nitwit, blockhead. That's a good one. I'm going to start okay. calling people that. <laughs> Numbskull, bonehead, brainless idiot. Raka is almost untranslatable word because it describes the tone of voice more than anything else. Its whole accent is the accent of contempt. It is the word of one who despises another with an arrogant contempt. That's a, a quote by Barclay. Those are not uncommon or particularly vulgar words, but they suggest an attitude of angry contempt. And that wants to bring me to my last thought before um, you got anything and we can move on. Um, is We also think ang- anger is F you, you're full of BS, you dumb, you know, effing idiot, and we say all these things, but really, anger doesn't even have to be, we just assume anger is full of cuss words and vulgar words, which, yeah, sure, that it's there, but it's also just, it could just be an everyday, you think, oh, I'm a Christian, so I'm not going to cuss, but it makes your anger okay. Right. Like, oh, you're an idiot, I don't like you, blah, 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 that's okay, but if you say, you're an effing idiot, you mother effer, you dumb piece of work, blah, blah, blah. And then we say, oh, wow, that's that's not okay. Well, it's the same thing. It's just a lot of, honestly, the right-wing Christians think, oh, they cuss, so now it's bad. But anger without cussing isn't bad. No, if you have anger in your heart, it doesn't matter what words you use. You know, if you're angry at somebody... In your heart, even if in your heart you're only expressing non-vulgar words, it's still hatred in the heart, you know. And maybe you're talking to someone, you're getting an argument with them, and you don't cuss. It's still anger. Who cares what you're, what words you're using? It's still anger. And we need to work on that anger. And we need to pray for those even more so that we have hatred for. Right. We need to, you know, you know, when it comes to like people who are like. You know, Biden and Newsom, like, they're our leaders. People are like, oh, our church will say, we need to pray for our leaders. How many of you listening are like, you throw up a quick prayer for them, and then you move on praying for other things? But if it was Trump, or if it was, like, Larry Elder, who could have won, you know, won the seat of where Newsom was, how much, how much you know, more time were you, did you spend praying for them? To win, or, you yeah. Spent and a minute. And even if you're like, well, I don't pray for the win, but God just... Make sure you give them wisdom and guidance, like give with Trump wisdom and guidance, and you pray for a good minute, two minutes, just for people in his in his cabinet, his presidency. When it comes to Biden, God just use him, blah blah blah, bam. Right. <laughs> like, cause you, cause you still have some hatred in what's gone down in our government. You still have some hatred in what's gone down, and who's the president, whether you like them or not, and that's where I have an issue. Right. Um. Yeah. That's good. Uh, I, I don't know if I have anything else to say on those couple verses, so I'll just move on to 23-24. That's good with you. You mean 23-26? Well, yeah, yeah, I guess the whole thing is kind of one section. Um, I'll read it. Sure, go. go for it. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Agree with your adversary quickly while you are on the way with him, lest your adversary deliver you to the judge. The judge hand you over to the officer, and you be thrown into prison. Assuredly, I say to you, you will by no means get out of there till you have paid the last penny. Mm. Um, 
a couple. I'll get to the second half of that section first, or, or not first, but later. Um, I want to look at verse 23 and 24 where it says, um, if you have an offering at the altar, but you realize that you have somebody has something against you, go take care of it, right? And I think that that's such a key thing. Um, I know probably a couple months ago we talked about um, giving, and we kind of talked about this idea um, I think the episode's called Right State to Give or something. We we, we talked about um, these verses before. Yeah, yeah. So I, I'll I, I wanna touch more on the the idea of the reconciliation a bit more than the that part of it, but I'll, I'll get to that. Um the Greek word for reconcile I think is very important because it 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 shows kind of what the idea here is. Um it's the Greek word dialasso. Um and it means to reach a mutual concession. And, uh, an example of this is where people in conflict come together through meaningful change. And it's used only in this verse, which I think is interesting. Um, but the idea is, is that you're not just apologizing to these people who have something against you, right? And, and then going about your way. You're actually doing something to change. For example, if I showed up 20 minutes late to our... Our, our recording time, right? And I showed up, say, I'm sorry, I'm late, whatever. Why are you calling me out? Well, no, I'm saying if I was late. <laughs> sure. And then let's say next week I show up 20 minutes late again, and I say, hey, I'm sorry, I was late, whatever. And then I do it again the next week, right? And I keep apologizing, but I still show up late. Then nothing's changed, nothing is different, It's right? hard to take your apology seriously. Yeah, and, and that's part of it as well. But if I say I'm sorry, I apologize and then I show up on time next week, right? I've reconciled the situation. I've made mm-hmm. a change, a meaningful change to my actions to improve the situation. And that's what I love about this word is that, you know, Jesus is saying, don't just go and apologize. Actually make a change. Whether that means uh, uh, some form of retribution to the person that you've offended or changing who you are as a person, right? Something changes that's meaningful to make things right between you and that person. And the other thing too is is that it uses the word brother or sister, right? And this is a common word used in, in the New Testament that doesn't just mean another person or family member. It's specifically referring to other believers. And I think Jesus is specifically speaking to our relationship to other Christians. And yes, we should reconcile to non-believers around us, our coworkers and friends and family members, but specifically, we need to be in good standing with our fellow believers, right? It, it, I mean, what's I guess, I guess the the church itself cannot work if there's animosity between believers, mm-hmm. if there's issues between believers. Yes, it's important that we're not hating our political leaders, our coworkers, but I think these two verses specifically, Jesus is making a point of how we are, you know, in relation to other believers, right? If, if if I hate somebody in our church because of something they said or how they were before they came to church, whatever the case might be, then not only does that put me in a bad position, but that puts them in a bad position, and the whole church is in a bad position, and, and everything just starts to fall apart, right? For the church to work, there has to be reconciliation. There has to be community and and fellowship and moving together Mm -hmm. you know that's not to say issues won't arise but when they do they have to be dealt with and i think it's important that jesus says 
you know, leave the altar. Like, you know, you can't be in a good place and having these offerings and really a functional temple if you're not in reconciliation with those. So leave that first. Go take care of these issues in the church and in your body, the, the church body, then come back to, to worship, to pray, to do these things, right? And it, it's really a tricky thing because obviously we don't have to be perfect to come to church, right? You don't get rid of your sin, then come to church. It's the other way around. But in this specific instance, it is important that we are reconciling with fellow believers before we try to function as a church, right? Like some things need to be put in hold to deal with these internal issues in our lives and with other people before we can function properly, right? And I think this is one of those few areas where that needs to be done, right? Other areas, yes, you come as you are and and let God work in you as you are. But I think this is one of those key points where we have to be in good standing with other believers around us to the best of our ability, right? Some issues are, you know, but yeah. Because we should know better. Right. The world doesn't know any better. And it's funny because we point the blame and like, oh, look at so-and-so. They, you know, you know, they, you know, they don't come to church. They're not believers. Yet you have issues, one, with other believers and you're, and you're spending time on top of having issues with other believers, judging someone who's not really a Christian. I mean, you can say, oh, we don't know the heart, but the point being is you judge someone, you know, you spend more time judging people than you do forgiving people. Right. And then the other thing is when you do spend time forgiving people, you do it in such a way it's like, I forgive you as if, like, they're the one who wronged you every time. <laughs> when that's not always the case. And it goes, look at, like, the the... The church today, we need to be asking forgiveness, you know, amongst each other, like you were saying. But look at the mandates and the vaccine and no vaccine and how churches responded. How many churches and people left their church to go to another church because they didn't like how their church responded to this mandate, to the masks, to the vaccines. And it's like those churches that stayed open the whole time and flooded their worship services are running to the altar during their altar time bringing their their gifts and or whatever, bringing their, their prayer requests to God, all the while, you know, a few weeks before, they just left the church that they didn't like how they were doing their church politically, right. so they peaced out. And it's like, you didn't go to the pastor, you didn't say, hey, this is why I prayed about it, and this is why I feel like I should leave, blah, blah, blah. You didn't do any of that. You just peaced out. And it's like, what's going on here? You know? And I read this in the last time we did these verses, but... um. Jesus considers it far more important to be reconciled to a brother than to perform a religious duty. Right. Jesus says we must first be reconciled to your brother. We can't think that our service towards the Lord justifies bad relationships with others. We should do what Paul commanded in Romans twelve eighteen. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. You know, um, just because you're a Christian doesn't mean... Oh, I love Jesus. I'm guaranteed in heaven, so I don't need to. I don't need to make amends and figure out relationships with other people. Well, I would almost question then: Are you a believer? Right. Are you saved? And you can, and then you can say, "Well, are you saying you can lose your salvation?" I'm like, if you truly were a believer, you'd want to get right with other people. You you would you would if you're sitting in the back of the sanctuary, before you walk up to the altar, you'd walk up to that person and say, "Hey, I'm sorry." You know, I don't know if you know this, but I just been feeling this way or that way, and I shouldn't. I shouldn't. And you reconcile with that person, 
and then you go to the altar, right? But we don't want to do that. We want to we want to basically weave in and out all around the people just to get to the altar because we think we need to just spend time with God. When really, you know, as much as we say first and foremost, spend time with God, I think God, what he wants to do first and foremost is to get right with people, then come to him. Right. Because how can you come to God when you're not even right with people? And you say, well, what are you saying? We have to be perfect before God? Well, you should be right before all people. And if there's things maybe you haven't recognized yet, but the moment you recognize, hey, you know what? I know I am in the wrong with this person. Or, you know what? I have this mad intent in my heart. Okay, God, forgive me. I'm going to go talk to this person. And you go figure it out. Right. You know? And too many people, especially in this day and age and political age where we're being persecuted somehow in America, which is beyond me. I don't know how we are. Someone tell me how we're persecuted when in other countries they're literally dying just for saying they're a Christian. And here we're complaining about a mask. And yet we come to that saint, we come to that altar with our views against the government saying, God, you know, we need you. Come down. God, we need you to bring revival. Well, it's hard for God to bring revival when you have malice in your heart towards the government, when you have hatred in your heart towards someone of the opposite political party. It's hard for God to do revival when he's been knocking on that revival door saying, hey, well, get right with your neighbor. Get right with your brother. You want to see revival in your nation? You want to see revival in your community? Then start getting right with people. Stop making a big deal about being anti-mask or being fully vaxxed or this and that, but actually start loving your neighbor and yet, some of it's messy, and yet, some of it's a gray area, but seek wisdom on that. But you want to see revival? You want to see these things that these churches that have been open the whole time are trying to do? Well, then get right with your, your fellow man. Get right with those who believe differently than you. Because like it says, if you bring your gift to the altar, and then remember that your brother has something against you. So, you're going to the altar when it says bring your gift. To me, it's like you have the intent to go to God with like your heart, with something for him. Like, God, I'm going to give you this. But yet, sometimes we're misguided because it's not always, we make it sound bad. But there are people who genuinely want to come to the altar but what they're and they want to give themselves to God. But yet, it's almost like we're blocking out the idea that we need to remember, okay, God, is there something or someone... I need to make right. I need to make right with or a situation I need to make right because I don't want to come to your altar and bow down to you when I'm not right with other people, right? Because it's not as effective. And it, it and you could say, oh, that's legal. No, it, we're reading the scripture right here. Jesus Himself said it. Leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be right side of your brother, then come and offer your gift. So basically, he still wants you to come to him. He still wants you to give what you're going to give. He still wants you to do that. And even he says, you know, uh, first be right side of your brother, then come and offer your gift. So he wants you to leave the gift there, go, get reconciled, and then come back. Don't just, oh, okay, God, well, you want me to do this, I'm not going to do it, and then just not do either. Right. Now he's like, hey, I'm I'm actually happy that you're coming to the altar. You want to bring a gift. You want to bring something. You want to share your heart. But go get right with so-and-so first. Go get right with, because that's more important to me. And you can say, yeah, but so-and-so's in the hospital or this and that. And I really need answers to prayer. Hey, like, I want to do that for you. But you need to get right with people. That's what we're supposed to do. It says, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way you know we need to be reconciled 
with Christians. We need to make it a point to say, okay, I'm going to go. I'm going to go do this. I'm going to go do that. I'm going to go here. I'm going to go there. I'm going to do what I need to do to get right. And to be honest, it's a good feeling when you talk to people and you get right with them. It's a good feeling when you have this something in your heart that's just bothering the crap out of you and you actually go talk to someone and you apologize to them. Even if they're the one in the wrong by the world standard, you go talk it out and you apologize for the hate in your heart or the feelings you have. And if they don't accept it, hey, fine, but you did what God called you to do. Right. Yeah, and and the last couple things I want to mention, and we can hit the last couple verses. Um, It's important that this couple verses follows what we just talked about because Jesus made it a point to say that it's not just the outward action of murder and things like that. It's the intent of the heart, right? What's going on inside. And as hard as it is to accept this sometimes, even if you never vocally expressed your anger towards somebody, never did anything of harm against them, right? If there's somebody within the church or somebody you know that you've had those issues towards, but you've never expressed them, you've never said it, you've never done anything to let that out, that's still something that needs to be dealt with and reconciled. And it probably would be a very hard conversation to go up to somebody that you've maybe never even talked to and said, hey, I have this, you know, I've had this contempt towards you. I've had these issues, whatever the case is, you know, even if they don't know about it, we still need to be, you know, taking those steps to fix that. And the last thing I want to stress is, again, this idea of reconciliation comes with the idea of meaningful change, Mm. right? It's not enough to just say, I'm sorry, like I said, it's not enough to even just forgive somebody if you're not changing, if you're not changing who you are as a person that caused that contempt, that caused that anger or frustration. And if you're not changing the situation for that person, right? Maybe there's some restoration that needs to happen, something that you need to do to make up for what you've done, right? There has to be some change. There Mm -hmm. has to be something that you're doing for the better. And I think that's another reason why Jesus says, go do this first, so that when you come back to the altar, you're better off for it, right? And you're ready for the altar. Right, you're ready for it because something has changed within you, Mm -hmm. right? You're not just clear of conscience per se, or guilt-free, but you've changed how you act, how you think, how you believe, how you deal with people, whatever the case is, whether it's small or big. And that's what I think matters most is that we're changing from these experiences, right? Yeah. Because if you're just apologizing left and right without changing who you are, you're always going to be in those situations where you're having to reconcile, where you're having these issues towards people, you're having this anger, you're having these problems. And if we're not changing, then it's all pointless and i think that's why jesus says go do this first it's Mm -hmm. because he knows it's going to or at least he hopes it's going to produce the change so that when we come back we're we're better for it um the the next few verses the last ones out says agree with your adversary quickly which i want to get to that uh quickly let's see what i did there agree with your adversary quickly while you're on the way with him Lest your adversary deliver you to the judge, the judge hand you over to the officer, and you be thrown in the prison. Assuredly, I say to you, you will by no means get out of there till you have paid the last penny. Mm. Um, so, uh, where it says, agree with your adversary quickly. What were we talking about in the beginning, 35 minutes ago? We were talking about hate, right? And how right. murder, hatred in the heart. Well, when it says, agree with your adversary quickly, Jesus is telling us, obviously, to... To settle this anger, this malice with one another quickly. 
When we ignore it or pass it off, it genuinely imprisons us. And by the verse, and by the verse, it says, and you will be thrown in the prison. You know, obviously, if you have hate in your heart towards someone, that's not getting you into a physical prison, but you're putting yourself in a spiritual prison. That's hard to get out of, yet easy at the same time. It's easy in the sense that you have to get right with your fellow man. But it's hard because we as humans are freaking stubborn and don't want to do that. (laughs) And if we do want to get right, we want to say, well, I will talk to him if he apologizes first because I didn't do anything wrong. Well, no, it doesn't matter if they were wrong and you weren't. You need to do your part to get right with them. If you look at cross-references, because remember, we want to cross-reference everything. Ephesians 4, 26-27 Paul even says, do not let the sun go down on your wrath. You know, uh, when we hold on to our anger against another, we then sin. And we give place to the, we give a place for the devil in our hearts. And I think that's true. How many people, honestly, I don't want to, I don't, this might be a stretch in some people's minds, but if I stand before God on judgment day, you know, and I had hatred and unresolved issues in my heart with different people. What's going to happen? Now, there's obviously certain circumstances where I had a grudge against someone, and then they pass away, and years later, I want to get right, but I just can't. Right. God changed my life, but I just, God knows the situation in the heart. But when you have every chance to get right with someone, but you hold on to it, and you say, "Well, no, I don't have hatred towards them. I just..." I've separated, we don't talk. Okay, that's one thing if you don't if you need that distance, but you, is God knows if you can truly surely make right with them. Doesn't mean you become best friends, doesn't mean you hang out now, but you can clear the air cuz that's what God would want. You know, cuz he says to do it quickly um without malice and anger. And then, you know, what it what does it say? Um uh, Deliver you to the judge, the judge hand you over to the officer, and you'll be thrown in the prison. I just think, again, this might be a stretch, but like, I don't do any of these things. I don't get right with my man, my fellow man. And then now I'm on judgment day, and God then himself is the judge, the officer. And he holds the keys, in a sense, to send me to that spiritual eternal prison called hell. He's the guy who makes or break it for me. It's not based off what I do or say. It's like, oh, nope, God, you can't send me there. I did this, this, and that. No. He doesn't want to do that. But if you do not get right quickly, you know, and we can say, well, it's too late. It's been years. No, I mean, time to God is so, he's outside time. So if it takes you 50 years and right as your dad's about to pass away, you get right with him, that's a good thing. And that's what we need to do. Because like I said, Paul even said, do not let the sun go down on your wrath. We should not be holding this wrath, this anger, this malice, this you know, indifference towards each other. We should not be holding that against each other every night when we go to bed. We need to let that go. Bam. I like that. Um, yeah, reading these couple verses, obviously this is... It, in some ways, literal of the court systems of the time and, you know, settling things. But one thing I do like, is you mentioned, settling things quickly. And I, I like the image of, Jesus says, while you're still on your way together. Like, yeah. I imagine two guys, one sues the other, and they're walking to whatever, you know, Jewish court system in place, 
down the street and while they're walking say hey you know what let's just settle this on the way and they don't even have to go to court right but it's the idea of like you know don't wait forever to get this settled take care of it when these things happen right the moment you realize that hey i messed up or this person has something against me whatever the case is deal with it right yeah even if you maybe don't realize that you caused offense in that moment right you might say something not with any ill intention and then realize a week later that that person took it the wrong way or whatever then at that moment settle it as quickly as you can um and and i agree with you i think this can be taken in a spiritual sense that you know if you don't take care of it quickly while you're on your way to court then it goes to the hands of the judge and then to the officer and one thing leads to another yeah and and it, it quickly becomes out of hand and and sin operates very similarly right you know you have a bad experience with somebody in the church right and they cause some offense or you offend them in some way right very minor thing could be handled right then but you let it go and after a couple of weeks you you know it grows into a deep discontent for that person and then one thing leads to another and now your church is divided and it's you know splitting into two and you know all these different things because you let one little thing that you didn't handle quickly turn into something huge and now it's this massive spiritual court case if you will right that takes years to handle and whatever the case might be and you know even though jesus might be speaking literally of the court system of the day i think he means it as well in that spiritual context of like don't let things get out of hand to the point where you know it's unfixable and now you're thrown in prison right whether it's on judgment day or some ramifications in this life if you let it go you'll see some form of mm-hmm. you know punishment for it when you could have handled it from the get-go on your way to the court before this even became an issue and i i think that that's something that you know we need to remember is just don't let this become a bigger issue if you can handle it in the here and the now yeah. Right. If you can do something about it, do it. Don't let it grow in your heart and become something. Don't let it, you know, grow to involve all these different people and sides being developed and, you know, whatever the case might be, because it's just gonna, you know, it's just always gonna get worse. Right. Nothing yeah. good can come from holding on to this anger towards this on this discontent from, you know, or grudges, whatever it might be. Nothing good's gonna come from that, and. You know, the quicker we can handle it, the better. Yeah. And and I think that's, you know, a good point where Jesus ends it. Before he moves on to talk about another type of sin in the next couple of verses, this is a good way to end this conversation, specifically on anger, right? This could apply to other issues and other sins, but when we're talking specifically about anger and, and discontent, this is a good way to end it, is saying just, you know, be sure to... to you know, leave the altar, reconcile, do these things, but make sure you're handling it quickly. Don't let it fall into the hands of other people to decide. Don't let it get to these points, you know. And ultimately, from a spiritual sense, right, he says, you won't get out until you pay the last penny. Unfortunately, we'll never be able to pay that last penny, yeah. right? We'll, we'll never have enough pennies to pay the fine, you know, if we let it get to that point. And, you know, I think that's kind of a, a bit of a warning to leave it on like don't don't let the judge handle the issue that we can handle ourselves because you don't have enough pennies yeah. that's gonna be the name of this episode you don't have enough pennies 
great. <laughs> Why do I allow you to upload the, <laughs> this stuff? Yeah, I surely I say to you, you will by no means get out there till you have paid the last penny. He's not talking about money here. Spoke of figures of speech. And yeah. when it talks earlier about when you're on your way, right, he, he says, let, uh, Agree to adversary quickly in. while you are on your way with him. He's giving you this chance. Unless you're absolutely delivery to the judge, the judge hand you over to the officer, and you be thrown in prison. So basically, he's giving you another chance in front of the judge to, to make right. right. Then he's giving you another chance with the officer. And then you don't take any three of those chances. Now you're in prison. This isn't about money when he talks about, you know... You know, you have until you have paid the last money, paid the last penny. The ultimate penalty one pays at the hands of the judge, the officer, and in the prison could never be satisfied with money. Yet the reality suggested by these strong figures of speech reminds us that the suffering of eternity is indeed eternal. He's talking about eternity here, not you know, oh well, you're gonna pay the last penny. Okay, well I'm some celebrity and I have, you know. I have a net worth of eighty million dollars. Here's, here's twenty million. You know, I'm good. Oh, it's a little more. Here's third. Like, no, this is eternal. Yeah. You know, I like what this person uh, said about it. Uh, let our merit mongers first go to hell for their sins and stay all eternity there. And then he go. Uh, then afterward, if God will create another eternity, they may have liberty to relate their good works and call for their wages. But he said this. A child with a spoon may sooner empty the sea than the damned in hell accomplish their misery. Mm. You're never going to get out of this. Yeah, it, It's just the reality of it. When you're dead, I don't know if you know this, Noah, but when you're dead, you're dead. Wow. So it comes, down, it, it comes down to you need to get right with people now. Yeah. You need to get right with the Biden supporters now. You need to get right with the people who, who prophesied Trump was going to be reelected now. You need to get right with the Republicans, the Democrats, those who who cuss and call themselves Christians, those who are super strict and you need to wear dresses to your ankles and those types of Christians. You need to get right with everybody. And if, if you're like, well, I think I'm good with everybody. If you have an honest heart, then pray to God. Say, God, is there someone that I need to square up with, I need to get right with? Because I need to get this out of the way now. Yeah. So then I can better have time with you. Because in one sense, it's like a hidden distraction. Or a suppressed distraction. Like we want to get draw close to God, but there's times where it's hard. There's just something there. And then we have to come to the realization, well, is there something that I'm not doing? And, and then you can come to the conclusion, I need to get right with so-and-so. And then when you have this clear conscience, it's easier and I don't want to say it's about emotions, but more fun. And it feels better when you go to God at that point. Right. Because you can go with the clear conscience. And then there's the suppressed version where you know you need to get right with people, but, you, oh, it's not the right time. I just don't feel like, or I just don't want to do it. And yet you're, you're also telling people, like, I just don't get it. I'm praying for this thing. I'm praying for that thing. It's just my time with God right now. It just seems like it's in a dry season. Well, maybe if you were doing what the Bible says and getting right with your fellow man and doing these things, Maybe that could be the key to unlocking this dry season, you know, because you're stuck in this spiritual prison right. and he wants to get you out there where it's raining. You know, in Psalms 1, it talks about put, planting your tree near the streams of water so which it can yield fruit. But when you hold hate in your heart, you can't really do that. When you hold hate in your heart, it's like you're the person, you know, trying to grow a tree in the middle of the desert. It's just it's not going to work. Right. 
It's just, it's not going to grow. Your walk with God's not going to grow the longer you have hate in your heart towards someone. Or you have, maybe you maybe you're friends with someone, but you have unresolved conflict with them. And in their mind, they're still hurt by you when you don't even think that way. But if God tells you to, you need to make sure and think of all the people in your life and say, okay, I need to get right with that person. I need to call that person. And some people might have passed away. Some people, you might have no way to contact them. Right now, you don't know if they're alive or not, or they are, but you have no way to contact them. God knows the heart. Yeah. But do your best to get right with people now before you get to the eternal judge, the eternal officer, and before they, God himself sends you to the eternal prison. Yeah. And one last closing thought is, you know, it's important to be, even if you aren't in that situation where you have anybody that you have issues with, it's important to remember these things and work on these things because, spoiler alert, somebody's going to offend you at some point in the future. I've right? never offended anybody in my life. Yeah, 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 it's true. Um, you know, somebody's going to offend you or vice versa, right? You're going to cause offense to somebody else. And, you know, it's important that we're working on these things now because it will happen. And you might think you're okay now, but in five years when this happens, all of a sudden it is an issue, you know? So if you're not in a boat where you say... You know, I don't have any issues with anybody else that I need to forgive them for. And nobody has any issues with me that I need to reconcile with. That's good. And and keep building and, and strengthening yourself so that when those moments come, you're equipped to handle them, right? It's not completely going to derail you or, or, you know, put you back to square one, right? Work on yourself now so that you can handle those issues when they do come up, right? Just like when Jesus made the whip to drive out the uh, money exchanges, right? He was prepared for that moment, and he didn't fly off the handle, right? And just for us today, we need to be preparing for these situations so that we don't respond in anger, but we can respond with consideration and compassion and understanding to avoid the situations that Jesus is warning us about in these verses, right? We should never want to be at a point where we have to leave the altar, we want to get to a point where we avoid causing those issues with people or we can handle them when they arise so that we're not having to take those steps back, right? So I guess that's kind of my final thought is just be prepared for these moments rather than reactionary when it does happen, right? If you're not in that situation now, obviously deal with it now, but if you're not, work to be better equipped when it does happen. Amen. Your thoughts are my thoughts, brother. Nice. <laughs> um, it's the Brokenness to Faith podcast. Um, thank you guys for listening. You already know the deal. If you really want to send in something, you know the email. We don't check our Instagram. We do this for the loyal few. Thank you guys for listening. Again, this is the Brokenness to Faith podcast. Until next time, deuces. Peace.